Hello, welcome to Changes. My name is Annie McManus and I'm delighted to have you here for what is to be a very fun and insightful episode, I hope. My guest is Jake Shears. Now, you'll probably know Jake Shears for being a frontman of the very big band Scissor Sisters. They kind of came through at the start of the century, had the biggest selling debut album in the UK in 2004 sold nearly three million copies of that and just made a huge impression I suppose on pop culture and club culture for being a kind of gang of queer and brilliant fun-loving people who had broken through to the mainstream and thus were kind of trailblazing for all of those other queer artists that we kind of take for granted in the mainstream today. Well since fronting that huge band Scissor Sisters Jake Shears has been very busy. He's written for and toured with Kylie, he's duetted with Cher, he's starred in Kinky Boots on Broadway and he's moved all over the world as well. I was lucky enough to meet Jason on a trip to New York once, I mean years ago, I'm talking a decade ago and um, I was doing my radio show over there and whilst I was there, Mark Ronson had asked me to drop in on his show on EVR Radio, which is short for East Village Radio. It's one of those stations that the studio kind of looks out over the street. I think it's Second Avenue or First Avenue. So you can literally kind of watch the radio station happen from the street. I loved it all. I went and saw Mark and had a nice chat with Mark on the radio. And then after that, I came outside and was just hanging out on the street with my friend Rachel and this kind of big-eyed man came bounding up to me and said hey I'm Jason do you want to come to a party tonight now I recognized him as being Jake Shears so I was like uh yes we're only in New York for three days we definitely want to come to a party with you it turned out it was his party and I distinctly remember walking through the streets later on that night with Rachel, very nervous and excited and hearing the party before we saw it, just hearing the kind of booming sub bass and then looking up at this block and seeing from kind of the third or fourth floor these strobe lights flashing from a window and being like, okay, that must be it. Suffice to say, Jason, which is Jake's real name, showed us a very, very good time and I've kept in touch with him and been lucky enough to call him my friend ever since. The good news for me is that Jason, Jake, has now moved to London. Uh, He's been very busy since he's been here. He recently wrote the lyrics for the sold-out Tammy Faye musical, which uh, premiered in London, and Elton John wrote the music, so it's kind of collaboration with Elton, who he's been friends with for a very long time. He's been working very hard on a new solo album, which comes out this year. It's called Last Man Dancing. The first single, Too Much Music, is doing the rounds on the radio at the moment, doing really well. So there was lots to discuss, and I wanted to kind of use change of course as as the rudder for our conversation to lead us to those most meaningful times in his life and to be able to kind of really explore those times I really enjoyed this conversation I learned a lot about him that I didn't know and you will too welcome to changes Jake Shears Jake Shears welcome to my home thank you (laughs) I've been listening to your memoir again and it's just so beautifully written and it's been so nice to revisit that I was born a showman mm. the opening <laughs> line <laughs> what what does making and performing music do for you please uh it makes me feel alive it makes me I just feel like when I'm performing when I'm like writing something when I make a great song it's when I'm happiest if I'm on a stage 
uh, just sort of letting it all fly. It's it's just a very cathartic experience for me. It's just really fun. I can do stuff on stage that I would get arrested for on the street corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can really like go wild. You feel free. I feel free. Yeah. 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 There's many things to talk about, but you have a new album coming very soon, of which there's music out for now. It's called Last Man Dancing. Yeah. Why? Because I'm usually the last person <laughs> off. <laughs> and I, you know, I never want the party to end. Mm. You know, it's part of my struggle. It's <laughs> like, I never want to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel that struggle. I really do. You know what I mean? I mean, it's interesting because me and you, uh, we're friends. Yeah. And I've I've had some some of my most golden memories of dancing and raving. You're in them. You know, we've <laughs> yeah. had some incredible had some good times. nights out yeah. in Miami, in Ibiza, all over the world. And um, you are that guy. I mean, you know the way you get like a fun sponge, someone who sucks in someone's yeah. sponge? You're the opposite. You're like, you're, you, you like, you just like exude it. You just, you, you're so bright and you're such a light in a room in those scenarios. I love the possibility of a night and of meeting new people. Is there any other meanings to the last man dancing thing? Like the fact that you're, we are both, you know, in our 40s now. Yeah. Is there a sense of you feeling like you've got hindsight and you're able to look back? Like from my angle, you mm. open the door for a lot of people, mm. you know, in terms of queer artists that we would now take for granted to be allowed to, to exist and mm. to flourish and to thrive. That always was never the case, really. You know, you've had you guys have had to really fight through barriers as scissors when you were in Scissor Sisters. Mm. But do you feel like a bit of an elder, I suppose, at times? At this point, yeah. Mm. I mean, I'm going to be 45 this year. Yeah, me too. Um, sometimes I think back to 22 years ago, and it's just, it does feel like a different world. Mm. You know, it feels like a, a very different time. Mm. And I do think in, in certain ways, I even just take it for granted what sort of we have now culturally, mm. what's going on, the additional freedom that people have mm. but at the time you couldn't have nailed me down yeah you know what i mean there was nothing that was gonna stop me yeah <laughs> you know, like i just didn't care let's go back to that time <laughs> before we go right back to childhood can we zoom in on the time when you were a go-go dancer in new york yeah like what do you remember about those times what age were you I moved to New York when I was 20, so I was 21. Good dream. Um, you know, I had this phony ID that I had gotten. I was working at Bimbo's Bitch and Burrito Kitchen in Seattle, and I'd found this ID of like a 30-year-old man named David Joseph Wiktorsky. <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> and uh, I'd been using it for years. He looked nothing like me. Yeah. I mean, he was balding. <laughs> <laughs> get away with that i don't know but but uh i did for years yeah so i was going clubbing like from you know 18 on and uh it it was so weird right when i was turning 21 it just disappeared what do you mean you disappeared oh the, no, oh, the id vanished. vanished david joseph <laughs> david joseph wiktorsky <laughs> yeah if you're out there thank you yeah um but yeah, so it was just kind of magical. I felt like it was sort of this this yeah. little pass that I had for, yeah. a for golden some ticket. years. Yeah, I, I was in school studying fiction writing, and a friend of mine said, "You know what? I really wanted to go to Europe. 
and I wanted to go backpacking. Mm-hmm. And I was, we're sitting on the beach and he was like, why don't you dance at Icy Guys? And I was like, what? And he was like, so what's Icy Guys? It was this tiny little bar that was Amazing about a fourth name, the size of this room. I mean, yeah. it was 15 people in there and it was packed. Right. And there was a bar and they served beer and wine. They couldn't get their liquor license. Oh my gosh. And there was there was like a go-go cube. At one point, they they wanted to do a beach theme. And they they poured a bunch of sand on the floor. And it was yeah. it was really ramshackle. Yeah, you know, I could stand at the bar and 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 feel the ceiling above me, and there'd be wires hanging out of the ceiling. I mean, it was really a a, a messy place. Um, but I started dancing there, and I would just make I would I would dance for hours. And I wouldn't drink any booze. I would literally just have just like a jug of Gatorade and yeah. and just get just covered in sweat and just like dunk Gatorade over my head and like just have fun. I had the best time. Yeah. I was seriously just like in my underwear. Yeah. I would remember I'd go into the back room and scoop out all the money. Oh, the the dirty cash. money. The sweaty, <laughs> dirty money that was like all <laughs> Just, it was gnarly. But yeah, I made enough money to go to. I started going to Europe like every summer. Wow. Just with my bag. Yeah. Backpack. Wow. So you always had kind of uh, like visions to travel further than America. Like, I mean, I guess you were a reader from a very young age. So you had a perspective of the world that was. Well, I got a wanderlust from my parents. Mm. You know, my parents never could really, uh, they were always on the move. I grew up in motorhomes and. We had a little Cessna plane that my dad flew, so we'd fly on, you know, across the country to visit grandma. I remember, I think I took like one commercial flight until I was, one or two until I was, you know, in my 15 or 16. So your dad flew you? Flew us or drove us. Wow. My parents would think of nothing of just like packing the car and driving for a week across the States to go somewhere. So when I say to you, like, what was home like as a kid, do you have one place in mind? Or was there too many places to come? There's a couple. There's a couple there, places. There's a couple places. Yeah. I think of Arizona and I think of uh, the island in yeah, Washington State. Um, tell me about your family then. You had brothers and sisters? Uh, two, two older sisters and older brother. Yeah. But, but I was definitely the youngest, youngest. And your older brother was like 20 years old. Yeah, 20 years older from my dad's first marriage. My mom is my dad's third wife. Right. She's 20 years younger than my dad. He was yeah. 50 when I was born. He's 94 now. Yeah. But yeah, so we went back and forth between Arizona and this, and this just outside of Phoenix, and this small island that had a population of like 3,000 people. Yeah. In the wintertime. Summer got a little bit more. Yeah. You say in your book, I haunted my house like a jazzy poltergeist. (laughs) Chef's kiss. Um, What were you like as a child? I needed attention. Mm -hmm. I needed attention. I needed people to look at me. I needed to like make people laugh. I had an insane amount of energy. Um, I was very demanding of everybody around me. I As the youngest child, though, maybe that did you get away with that? Were you able to, were you able to get some attention? Yeah, I yeah, did get away. With it. I mean, I one of my nicknames was the little dictator. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I I really was, yeah, very headstrong and weird, and I had a funny yeah, you, sense of humor. Didn't think, you didn't know you were weird at the time, and I mean, like. No, 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 not I, that, not yeah. that young. And like but, when you say weird, how? Like just, I just had a, a really bonkers sense of humor. I you had a you really said you of... had my imagination was wild and irrational. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I could put words together, I started writing stories. Right. 
I remember, I think the first story I remember writing was about Garfield, the cat, in a haunted house. <laughs> and, and that went on. And then I, I, I wrote stories until I was done with college, until I started writing songs. Yeah. And that's how you got into doing fiction in college? You yeah. wanted to be a... Well, then I realized when I, when I started school that I was like, why don't I just do something that I like? Right. Yeah. And then it won't feel like school if I'm like doing something I enjoy doing. Yeah. So I kind of, I never got a diploma. Right. Uh, because I just took what I wanted. Yeah. There's um there's another little scene that you describe in, in your book where you talk about going, when you discovered the library as a child and you just decided you were going to be best friends with like whatever, whatever librarian was there, they were going to be your friend. I would torture the librarians. <laughs> I got would... this picture of little, little Jake Cheers. Uh, oh my God. Hi. Oh, I would pull up chairs. I would bring them stories I wrote. I would make oh, them, you know, so I would, I, yeah, there were, there was many librarians that I just loved. Yeah. I bet Had they loved you back. Total. I, I'm sure I drove them a little bit crazy, but yeah. uh, I loved hanging out in libraries. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I just felt like there was always like something new to discover. I still love hanging out in libraries. Mm -hmm. I love hanging out in bookstores. Yeah. I've made a, you know, my, my own house has a library in it. I would, my fantasy was always to like have my own bookstore. Wow. Because I like browsing. Yeah. You say your father was 50 when you were born. Yeah. Um, and your mom was 20 years younger. What kind of parents were they to you? My mom was very like on me. You know, I was a total mama's boy. And loving. And I mean, she just, she did everything for me. I mean, it was just like, she was maybe to my detriment possibly, mm. but, and then my dad, you know, we were close until I was about nine or 10. Right. You know, I, when I stopped wanting to play any sports or anything, I didn't want to go to softball. I was just not interested in the stuff he was interested in. He's very, you know, he, my dad was an airplane mechanic and, yeah. you know, into building things, building boats, making cars. Like I, I was into none of that. And I think once he discovered that about me, it just, we had nothing to talk about. Got you. I was a sissy mm. at a certain point, you know, mm. you know, my, my dad's last kid. And I think there was just like this, feeling of disappointment from him maybe even unconsciously right you know we really didn't come back together again until my 20s well let's talk about then the, the middle bit the teens yeah which can be horrific for so many of us yeah you're going through so many physiological changes hormonal fucking roller coasters mm. How was going to school, how was that part of your life um, in terms of growing into yourself, I suppose? Well, we were back and forth between Arizona and, and Seattle. And my sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade, I was back in Arizona in the school years. And I was going to a Christian junior high, mm -hmm. um, a really small little Christian junior high. And, and, and something about it, I think, was actually probably really good for me because... There was something protective about it. It wasn't like a big public school. I think if I had been at a big public school in junior high, I think I would have just been, yeah. I don't know, decimated, you know, because I was, I was goofy and effeminate. 
Were you performing for people at school like yeah. you were at home? I yeah. Was, I had a sense that, you know, I, I've, I've, I still felt, of course, there's drama in junior high and whatever, but, yeah. and it's Christian and there's all, you're getting yeah. all kinds of trouble for, you know, for whatever. And, but it, it was fine. I, I do have fond memories of that time because yeah. even though there's, of course, painful stuff, yeah. I still think I was protected. When I went to the following year back to the island, this tiny little island, another small school, but it was a public school. It it was it was tougher. Right. How so? Um, because then, you know, by the time I'm like 13, you know, you're really kind of getting to be sort of who you are. Yeah, I was skinny. I was dressing funny. I was discovering music. I knew I was never going to be one of these sort of jocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, of course, I was thought they were gorgeous and would dream about them, you know. And every once in a while, one would be really nice to me, you mm. know. But I was, I was just not going to be that. So I kind of leaned into the weirdness. Yeah. And it was a great time for music, you know. So I was discovering music at the same time. You know, was Nirvana had, like, Nevermind had just come out, basically. So there was that whole explosion. Wow, grunge. But there was yeah. so, but also just with rock music in general, there was so much great stuff. Mm. You had all these bands. To go to a concert, though, you had to go on a hour, 45-minute ferry, and then an hour drive to Seattle to go see something. Mm -hmm. So my mom would take me and a friend or whatever, we would... We'd get on the ferry, get all the way into Seattle, go see like Faith No More, then turn around and go back and sleep in the ferry lane and get back at school the next morning. Oh my God. You know, I mean, God bless my God mother. God bless your mother. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I needed that and I wanted, I wanted more access to that. I was just feeling so isolated on the island. You said high school soured on me like a glass of old milk. Mm-hmm. I mean, beautifully, beautifully put, but that sounds rough. Well, it just got worse because it's like I, you know, I was stuck out on this island. I was like shoplifting Playgirl magazines. I knew something was up. I was like getting, I couldn't be out and gay in front of my parents yeah. on this island. So I yeah. somehow convinced my mom and dad to let me move in with my art teacher so you, from you, junior you, high. You fully knew you were gay though. Yeah, I hadn't you fully you admitted it to myself. You say but that I knew... homosexuality was seen as the greatest of transgressions. So, mm. like, that's what you're fucking up against. You know? Yeah. You're literally up against. You could not, like, you know, this is. Yeah. This is 92. Yeah. It's a long time ago. And, <laughs> like, you just did not. And so everywhere you wanna... go, you're being told that who you are is wrong. Yeah, or just that you've got to hide it. Yeah. But there was something busting out of me. You know what mm. I mean? Like I didn't want to. I wanted to be in a bigger city. I needed to be going to concerts. That was and like did my you know, main like, thing. So how did you know? Like so for them, they represented more liberal views, more kind of lawlessness, more freedom. Yeah, I mean, you you could go to a show and you know suddenly there's like some weirdos running around in skirts or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah, like yeah. it was. There was something a little more chaotic about it, mm. and, and hearing music like I just. I, I loved it. I loved music. I yeah. loved rock and roll. Yeah. I loved dance music. You know, so Those were like early, yeah. early nineties. You know, there was like great time. Mm -hmm. So if we if we look back then at that period of your life, what would you say was the biggest change that you went through? Coming out. Because mm -hmm. I left. I went. I they, I left home. You know, okay. I left home at fourteen. Fuck. Yeah. And my parents let me move in with my art teacher from junior high down in Arizona. 
Um, so I went back down there and moved in with her and her husband. And went back to that and school? She was, no, I went to a big public high school. Okay. She had a baby. I was like living with and her and her like husband. And she had like a 14-year-old goth in <laughs> Yes. Fair dues for her. So, but it was, it was great because I did feel like I had more freedom. Yeah. So I started going to this big public school, which was 3,000 kids. I mean, there was 1,000 kids in, in each grade. It was my sophomore year. So, you know, I had three years left and I started really dressing weird and being antagonistic at school. Like I wanted attention, but I also was just like busting at the seams. Like, Was there a I, sense of like, I know I'm going to get shit, so I'm going to, you know, I'm on the defense from gonna the start? I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to go for right. it, you know? And then, and then kids started asking me if I was gay, and I was like, yeah. And then, then everything just went nuts, you know? It went really, it got, it got wild and scary. So nuts how? As in they gave you shit for being gay? With my teachers, I organized it so I could skip the last few days of that year because I just knew I was going to get creamed, you know? Yeah. I knew people would be out for me it was really scary i had like a lot of scary incidents and and i i, I thinking back i shouldn't have done that you don't know which bit sorry just put myself in danger like that and also living this double life because i wasn't telling you know jennifer who i was living with and her husband what was going on and then my mom and dad up in washington state you know like nobody knew anything that was going on that said i mean i was figuring out how to go out i was going into these like gay bars there's like a gay bar called preston's yeah can't believe thinking back that i was like in this place you know as a 15 year old yeah and um so if you're in this public school with three thousand kids was there any other freaks and weirdos that you could kind of like hang with or was it did you feel pretty alone in your deliberately trying to look like a freak you know because normally there's other like Weirdos. Yeah, I know. I found a couple friends at school. Oh, good. And then I got into this weird phone line. It was like very pre-internet. What's that? It was a phone line that was operated out of this house in Phoenix. And it was this weird chat line where everybody would leave these messages to each other. And was that a gay thing? There, It was an everybody thing. Oh, right. I mean, there was all kinds of people on it. No way. And we would all get together, you know, in Phoenix in these like different spots and like meet each other in real life. And Wow. You know, I made some really close friends on that. But it was also like, what was I doing? I can't believe I didn't get in more trouble. Yeah, yeah. So I really didn't. At the time, you know, I had tons of friends who were like doing crystal meth. And like no one really offered it to me. You know, I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't drinking. And do you think back then you would have been at the point where if if drugs had come along, you would have been quite vulnerable to getting stuck in? I don't know. I just, I kind of knew that I wanted my freedom and to have that freedom, I had to keep it cute. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to yeah, get, a, to to get away with what I was getting away with. I knew that I had to like really have yeah. all my, Your wits about my you. wits about me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But that's a lot to be carrying though. Like you're not, you're not with your family. You've got your art teacher. She's got her new baby. She's preoccupied. Your family are far away. It's like a lot to be holding on your back as a as a teenager, you know, all of this shit you're doing and all of this <laughs> shit you're going through in school. There's a lot. It was it was heavy. When did you get out of there? Uh, I was only down there for that year, and then my mom and dad let me go to a this little private school in Seattle for my junior and senior year. And was that better? Oh my god, it was great. Oh, thank God. 
It was great. And then I was in the middle of Seattle living in that on period? Capitol Hill in Seattle in wow. ni- you know, 94, 95, 96. And wow. it was just an amazing time. Wow. And I was out of school. Every- it was a small school, totally liberal. I was loved. Oh, brilliant. You know, it was great. I was living in their little boarding house. And then, you know, finally came out to my parents the end of junior year. How was that? Uh, it was it was rough for a little while, but then my senior year, you know, my my mom and dad got an apartment near the school, and we had one last year together. Oh, nice! So it was it was it was good. So we, that that's a kind of statement of intent from them that they want to be near you and. Yeah, yeah, we had my mom was just like, I want to have one more, one more year with you. Yeah. So my senior year, yeah, we we lived together in Seattle. I I sort of feel like from that moment of busting out, that was just a trajectory that just kept going and going and going, and I yeah. knew that I had to do something amazing, Mm. that I wanted to like be creative. I didn't know exactly how, I mean, I was making music in high school. I was, I knew that I wanted to do big things. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure what they were yet, but it felt like a constant. Climb. Climb and and, and just, just always like discovering stuff and pushing myself to go to these new places. And then, you know, then I got to New York. New York. Yeah. New York. Uh, 2001, the start of Scissor Sisters. Um, what are your memories of that time, of the nucleus, the beginning, comfortably numb, the kind of ripples starting to happen around the world? At the time, it was like I just wanted to be making stuff. And I was like trying to put together maybe party nights. I was like obsessed with like weird celebrities and stuff that I was like (laughs) wanted to just weird stuff that I would kind of go on tangents about and make collages. I would throw parties. Yeah, They all had different themes and I would just like blag people to use their loft spaces (laughs) and just, you know, people would sort of let me use these like big spaces to throw parties. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I just started making these silly songs with like a buddy of mine. Yeah. It all had a lot of humor to it. We're just being goofy, and then suddenly good songs started coming out, and then and then you know, and then it was just like a trajectory that just kind of kept building and building and building, and then coming over here and getting signed and all that stuff. When did you realize you could sing? I was in New York. It was my last year of college. I worked in a mailroom at the Association of American University Presses, and I'd been singing, and this. (laughs) <laughs> this woman that worked down the hall comes in and she says, you can really sing. You sound like the Bee Gees. And that was like the first, one of the first match times. was lit. I, I remember, <laughs> yeah, that I remember anybody sort of telling me that that, right. that was a thing. I mean, yeah. And then, and then there's just the trajectory of scissors, which, you know, was a whole I mean, thing that went on for. 12 years, 14 years? I mean, we started really in 2001, the very beginning of it, and we Mm. finished in 2013, basically. Okay, to say 12 years. And I mean, looking back at that, which has been fun to do for this, obviously you guys were so extra and outrageous and fun. You were like a circus on stage, but Mm. looking at it in a more kind of political way, I suppose, there was a purpose, it felt, to what you were doing. Am I right in that or am I putting that on you? Was it all just total like hedonism and you didn't give a shit and you just happened to be fucking queer? Or was there like a, no, 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 we need to actually change this landscape because it's not okay. 
I mean, I just think it was more like we, I wanted to be myself and I felt like I had every right to do that. Sure thing. And to not make any apologies for it. Yeah. And to not apologize for it and carve that spot, break through mm-hmm. whatever glass was there to, you know, get what I wanted. What, what, what's your <laughs> fondest memory of the most peak years of Scissor Sisters? Oh, God, there's there's so many. There's so many. My fondest memories are always this. When I think, I just think of the shows. I think of playing in Barrowlands in Glasgow. I think of playing Glasto. I think of. Mm. I just think of shows. Mm. You know, those are the those are the happiest times between mm. the shows. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a different story? <laughs> it could be. I mean, it was just like we worked. We worked so hard. Okay. We worked so hard. We worked harder than than one should probably. I mean, it changed me. How? Uh, it did something to me. I think the physicality of it, um, you know, I suddenly started experiencing like extreme depression, uh, f- you know, for the first time in my life. There'd be like years where you're not drinking enough water. You're not eating enough. You're. I look back at pictures of myself and I was just like, I look like, ill okay and i was is that because you were you were kind of burning the candle at both ends so you're working beyond, hard and playing hard beyond no i was not playing hard at just all just working my hard. 20s were i was not a partier or wow. anything okay no i mean we would just be you know in festival season it's just like you know how this is it's yeah. just like you're playing at three in the morning in in spain and then you've got to go to the airport and get on a plane and go to your next stop and then start doing press, you know? Mm. So it's just like, I would get like, I would just be passed out on like airport floors and stuff, just trying to like yeah. get yeah. get a little sleep. Um, and how was it then? Like you also, you know, all of your childhood dreams realized, mm. you know, you were the center stage. You mm. were the, you know, the front man of this huge, huge operation, mm. huge crowds, huge record sales, you know, did that aspect of your ambition being realized feel good did it feel like you were to achieve something or were you even able to think at that point yeah good. yeah I was really I, I was really happy about it but there was this it was just this strange thing because I'd go back to New York and you know you expect some ticker tape parade or something and there's just like <laughs> you know what I mean I would go back I mean after the first album it's like I would go back to my tiny little apartment that I hadn't been in for a year and a half and then, not only that, part of my depression and what was happening was I was getting, like, adrenaline rushes. I'd been living off adrenaline for so long that, like, my body would just, like, I would get these, like, jolts of panic. It would feel like I was falling down a roller coaster or something. And I, I think that it was, like, a physical thing because yeah. I'd just been living on stages and yeah. just going off of that excitement. And when there was a break... It just, my body would just go completely out of whack. And did you know that you were suffering from depression at the time? Like, would you have been conscious of what that was? It took it took me a while to figure it out. But I mean, I was like borderline catatonic at points. Like, I just wanted to stare at walls. Like, anything gave me anxiety. Uh, I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't read anything. It was a really weird 
time and I had to, I finally found a psychiatrist that got on antidepressants. I've been on them ever since. Good man. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and were your bands mates aware of this? Were they supportive at all or Yeah, I mean what everybody was going through their own shit. Everybody was I mean, we were all like Fuck. you know, everybody worked so hard. Yeah. So it was just you know, we all had our had our stuff, but God the pressure. The pressure just got Where was the pressure coming from? Just from the whole operation, you know, you've got a record label, you've got a touring operation, you know, you're suddenly employing all these people. I mean, it was, I was too young for that almost. I was like 26 years old, 27. And it's almost like it was, it was a lot. You've cited your, the biggest change of your adulthood as when it all ended with yeah. scissors. Yeah. Can you talk me through that or as much as you would like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had so much fun making the last Scissors album. You know, we went out again. People seemed to love it. Let's have a Kiki came out. and That was, was a big deal. It was just yeah. a, yeah, a, a great moment. And I just remember being like, I don't want, I don't want to feel like we're being taken for granted. You know, I did, why don't this has been a nice run? We've had four albums let's over just, ten years. Over ten years, let's just maybe not forever or whatever, but maybe it's time to like let's just go do our things now. And also the the band, everybody, nobody expected Scissors to like blow up. I mean, everybody thought we were just like a little fun bar band, yeah. you know, in New York. Um, so I wanted to let everybody go live their lives too you know um but yeah it was it was a complete and total uh my world just went upside down you know so what was your existence at that point where were you what were you what was life like my partner you know i'd been with i'd been with a guy amazing guy chris mccarbell since 2004 we married we didn't actually get married but we were total. We were together for eleven years. Yeah. So it felt like it really felt like. Yeah, we I always were. thought he was your husband. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes I called him my husband. Yeah. But so you know, he was making documentaries and 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 doing film stuff, and he wanted to go to L.A. So we moved to L.A. together. Mm-hmm. Didn't have the band anymore. Moved to Los Angeles. And suddenly you're there all the time. And I don't have New York anymore. Mm. You know, New New York was such a big part of my identity. The band was such a big part of my identity. And I was losing my relationship at the same time. Okay. This sort of introduction of Instagram and phones really, I, I really do think that there is this, this new thing, you know, these apps and iPhones and it got between us. You know, I really do think that, that and I could sense it coming on and it was, it was really frightening. And I, th- I think, I think it just did a lot of damage, mm. but we were just sort of unplugging from sure. each other. And, you know, we'd been monogamous for a long time. We stopped being monogamous, which was great for a while. Mm-hmm. There was something sexy about it. Yeah. Um, but I just, I was in LA and I just did not know what the fuck I was supposed to be doing. Sure. I didn't have anything to do. Yeah. Was having to make new friends and sort of notorious for this thing that I'd been doing for the last 10 years. And I just had no idea like who I was at that point. I really felt like I had lost, yeah, you know, lo- lost a big part of just who, I, who sure. I am. Yeah. And that was just, it was weird. I started doing steroids. 
you know, which going back to that kid in, in high school, you know, that skinny kid looking at those jocks and like, you know, you're never going to be that. So I'm going to lean into this other side. Right. And then you sort of being a, you know, gay guy and a grown gay guy, it's like suddenly you realize, oh, with with these drugs, I can be that guy. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a whole new thing I was introducing into my And how was that affecting your life? Oh, my God. So side effects to that business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, part of it was like really fun. Mm. Uh, You look great. You feel more attractive. Sure. You know, like doing testosterone and stuff. I mean, like you'd feel, you feel like a million bucks. You feel so good. You're confident. You can make all the decisions. You feel sexy. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then when you have to get off your cycle or whatever, like I would fucking crash. I would just feel like I'd fallen off a cliff. Yeah. Just so low. Yeah. And I mean, what it, what it was doing to my hormones is just. And was, you were still with Chris crazy. at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I was trying to fill something that, that I wasn't getting from my relationship. Sure. You know, that we weren't necessarily giving each other at that point. Mm. And it was just really hard on, on my body. It's so funny. I look back during that time, too. It, like, I thought I was so sexy. <laughs> well, I'm sure your body was both. I looked like I looked crazy. Right. Like my face was all big and I had like a yeah. you know big mustache and like yeah. I looked like I was twenty five years older than I was, right. you know, it really yeah. aged me. Right, got you. Yeah, it's just it's it's this funny temptation that you get when you're mm. at a certain age as a gay man. Mm, you yeah. can sort of be this thing that you've always wanted to be. Mm. And so I was playing with that and yeah, I learned a lot from it. When did that all crash down? When did you realize that wasn't the way you needed to go? when I realized it was affecting my voice. Mm. Interesting. I couldn't figure out why I was like, sometimes I would be hoarse and I'd be like, why am I, this doesn't make any sense. Like I'm yeah. not drinking a lot right now. I'm not doing yeah. a lot of drugs right now. Yeah. Like what, why, yeah. why am I hoarse? I couldn't figure out. Yeah. And then finally one day, one day it dawned on me. I was like, oh shit. And I never touched them again. Wow. Because your vocal cords are a muscle, right? Yeah, so it's of course, like, so it makes and I total never, sense. It, 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 it's going to enlarge that, yeah, you know? Yeah, makes sense. And so I, the moment I, you know, and it wasn't, didn't do any permanent yeah. damage. I think it probably would have if I would have kept going. Yeah, yeah. But I stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And can I ask about your relationship with Chris? Yeah. At what point did that, did that come to an end? I mean, it was a long, I mean, it was probably like, it was I like a imagine, year and a half. I can imagine when you're non-monogamous, it's harder just to cut something off because, you know, it's like you can stay friends for so long. Yeah. We were comfortable. We were basically dating other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it was one of those things where it's like he kind of had a boyfriend. Right. I remember I was sitting on the beach with this guy I had a crush on who's now a very good friend. You know, Chris was off mm. with you know his this, guy his guy yeah. <laughs> i'm sitting on this beach with this this guy that i like and he looks at me and he's like i'm not going to be your boyfriend right. like you're way too complicated and it just dawned on me that yeah. i wasn't getting anything that i wanted from anyone anywhere right. like my life just yeah. nothing was working yeah you know i felt like that was a just there was a, a moment right there mm. and it just dawned on me that like okay 
I got to make a big change. Like right now, something, something's got to happen. I went home and broke up with Chris. Chris. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was just like, done. How did you go about finding things that did work for you? I got a one-way ticket to New Orleans. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, New Orleans. <laughs> Fucking hell, your life, man. <laughs> it's like when you look at even like the last six years, isn't it? Because now you're in London. My life is, yeah, now I'm living in London. So New or- the New Orleans years, what did they but do for it you? It was amazing. It was like, here's this place I've always wanted to yeah. be, that yeah. I've always fantasized about, that I've always loved it when I was there where the music has always really inspired so much of what I've done. And mm. I didn't know anybody there. Fresh I didn't start. know anybody there. Fresh I felt like in Blank LA, slate. everyone could see what was going wrong in my life. I hear you. Okay. Everyone could see. It was one of those things where like, I couldn't go out with somebody being like, how are you? Oh God. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Don't like, your sympathy. Like, yes. Yeah. Just yeah. everyone knew. Yeah. And I was like, I just want to go somewhere where like nobody knows yeah. who the fuck I am. Yeah. What's going on in my life? Yeah. And so I got this little place there and just started living by myself. Mm-hmm. I was able to kind of find myself again or start put together whatever this new version of myself yeah. was. Yeah. You know, yeah. I really think sometimes. It's like you had to get to know yourself all over again. Yeah. Right. Because I was just a different person. Yeah. Once I started sitting with myself. Yeah music started coming again of course you know then i started wanting to like write songs and songs started coming out of me and so you released your first solo album in 2018 yeah how's it been being a solo artist i mean i can imagine that must feel significantly different than being in a big rowdy group of people like (laughs) yeah it is different i mean it's smaller you know it's Mm. starting from scratch again basically Mm. Mm. you know it's different Mm. but i I just want to do what I like doing. Yeah. I don't. Well, you've always done that, babe. <laughs> yeah. You've always done that. Yeah. Which is incredible. You yeah. know, you're strong willed enough to know what you want and to pursue it. Yeah. That's great. And, and it's, it, that's what I want to just continue to keep doing. Like I was saying earlier, for as long as I can, I just want to, mm. I want to make stuff that I love. I just want to be creative. So you were in New Orleans. I know you have a home there still. What brought you to London? Why did you think, right, I'm going to give London a lash? Uh, you know, if I, I, I bought a house in New Orleans like three years ago and made this great, great home for myself. And, you know, after COVID and everything, it's like... Did it's, you spend COVID there? A lot of it. Yeah, most of it. Wow. Uh, it's just a very small town. You know, I yeah. never intended on living there year round. Yeah. I need to be in a big city. Yeah. I also need my my little place to 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 wind down that I yeah. love. Yeah. But I need things to happen. I need action. So yeah. So I, I I mean it's like okay New York, I've done it. Yeah. L A. I've done. I can't go back to L A. I mean getting to London. I just I've got great resources here. I know amazing people. Mm. I love. There's so much to do, and I just felt like it was sort of starting just me and my dog. Coming yeah. back over here. Yeah. And it's been interesting. I've been here almost a year now. Mm-hmm. I thought my social life was going to like really like yeah, yeah. kick Ramp off or up. something. But I think I've changed a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know? Of course you I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. That, that may not be like where my life's at. Like looking forwards now. Is that something you do much? Yes. Okay. So what changes would you like to make, if any, 
moving forwards to your life? Sometimes I have this sensation that like there's this other life I'm supposed to be living. Hmm. That there's like some parallel life that I don't have. Like I look at you, I look at our friend Amy, mm-hmm. and it's just like everybody's got families. Sure. You know, and a part of me is like, how do I get that? And if I don't have that, then how am I ever going to grow up? Well, is that something you want? Some semblance of Are you of sure that. you want children? <laughs> just, just think really hard about that, Jess. I probably won't ever have them, you know? I probably won't ever have kids. Why? Why do you say that? You're a man. You're lucky. You don't have to. You don't have a biological clock. Yeah, you know, my dad was 50 when I was born, so... Right. I, who knows what... But I do have like the I there's there's something that I feel like there's something that I something feel like missing. is missing. Yeah, yeah, fair. I still feel like a kid mm-hmm. in so many ways. I do what I want to do, mm. and I don't know if I want to feel grown up. But but then I'm just like, when does that happen? I totally get you. <laughs> I, know, I mean, I totally get you. Like for me, it wasn't until I got pregnant that I really had to like stop drinking. You yeah, know, and then I had nine months not doing it and it was like oh this is okay I know I can live like this you know it's kind of and then you're forced to think about other people's needs apart from your own yeah which is um, yeah which I think is a good exercise I suppose I've got nobody to answer to yeah yeah nobody's gonna hold have, like, you to account no yeah. one's gonna hold me to account I'm no I'm, consequences but, to I'm your actions really I'm dating great guys but I don't have anybody to answer to you got know you, you know I, I look forward to another kind of change yeah you know, I don't yeah. know when that's going to happen, but I mm. I feel like it will. Mm. Mm. Well, if you are ever going to have children, I think you would be the most wonderful father. <laughs> Honestly, it'd be great. Any child would be lucky to have you for a dad. Oh yeah, I I can't env- I can't envision it, but I feel like you don't need to. I can I can, <laughs> I can see you in the playground. Yeah. Politely asking a child to get off the swing so your child can have a go. <laughs> I can see that. Hey, buddy, can you? My little yeah, it's his turn. It would be hilarious, I think, to be a dad. And you have this album. We have to talk about this. So we talked about the top, Last Man Dancing. It's just, I think it's interesting just to, like, before you go, just to kind of go through the people and the voices that are on this album. Because I think it's quite telling of who you are as a man. (laughs) Kylie Minogue. Yeah. Jane Fonda. Yes. The sampled voice of Iggy Pop. Yes. Um, Big Frida. Big Frida. Big Frida. Yeah. So you have this incredible. And let, I don't, don't want to leave out Amber Martin, who's one of my best friends. Amber Martin. Who literally my sings bad. full lead on a song. Okay. <laughs> like, so you have this incredible array of people, but it's just kind of goes to show you, you know, you, you have so many friends in different places in life. I think you're able to span so many different thresholds within culture and people and humanity. You know? I run around. I mean, I I'm a I love people. Yeah, I'm a shapeshifter in certain mm-hmm. ways. I'm blessed with a plethora of just mm. like so many amazing friends. Mm. You know, throughout my life, that's mm. been the best part, really. Yeah, thank you so much, Jake. Thanks for I feel having weird me. We're calling you Jake, and not, not Jason, which Jason. is your real name. Yeah, I go by. You know, it yeah. confuses everybody, and I go by both. So I'll okay. answer to yeah. Jason, Jake, whatever. You're gonna be about. You're gonna be at festivals. You're gonna. Oh be, yeah. You're gonna be singing songs from this new album all over the place, and um, also we haven't even mentioned Tammy Faye the musical. Yeah. Um, that is hopefully gonna run again. Yeah, it'll somewhere. transfer. It's gonna transfer with a great run at the Almeida. Yeah. And um, yeah. I mean, I think it's gonna have a, a life. Knock on wood, it'll have a yeah. a big life. Yeah. Wow. Um. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
Thank you so much to Jake Shears. I really meant what I said to him in that conversation. He really is a kind of light. He's such a positive force of energy. Um, Whenever you see him, you feel so uplifted. And uh, yeah, you should definitely look out for that album, Last Man Dancing. It drops in June. Totally life affirming, like he is. Celebrating clubs and pop music. And uh, yeah, he's really in his prime, I think. Thank you so much for listening to Changes. As always, rate us, review us. Hey, go crazy. Why don't you even subscribe? And we will be back next week. Changes is produced by Louise Mason through DIN Productions. Thank you and see ya.